I hope you're ready for an absolute hodgepodge of angling awesomeness. We started off with one of the inventors of the flogger, Elite Series Pro Chad Pipkins. As if that wasn't enough, we bring in a guy who may have just caught the brand new world record tarpon, YouTube super stud from Black Tip H, Josh. And to round it out, we bring in the editor-in-chief of Bassmaster Magazine, James Hall, to talk about the 100 best Bass Lakes. This week on... I'm Bob Cobb for the Bassmaster. Welcome to Mercer. Happy Wednesday, happy hump day, and welcome back to Mercer. Busy, busy show here this week, so we better jump right into it. I mean, we've done a bunch of these now, and we did roughly half of them with multiple guests and half of them with one guest. This one, we're going back to multiple guests, and I don't know where we'll end up. We're all over the place. But we can guarantee you week after week, I will be here on Wednesday with an awkwardly honest fishing podcast. And as I said, happy hump day. What are we celebrating today? Let's have a look. It is National Father and Daughter Take a Walk Day. How nice is that? National Strawberry Sunday Day. National Macaroni Day. And are you ready for this? It is actually National Dive Bar Day. National Dive Bar Day. I mean, everything gets a day. But I said we got lots going on. I got two tournaments to get to right after this, back-to-back events to finish off the Bassmaster Elite Series season in the north. And um, going to be going to Champlain and then followed by Waddington, New York. And we're going to decide who our Angler of the Year is, who our Rookie of the Year is, and who wins those last two events. A Bassmaster Classic berth on the line for the last event. So lots going on. But speaking of that last event being on the St. Lawrence River, a big story this past week was kind of an old story, and that's the flogger. I mean, the flogger is a thing in the north that's been around for a long time. It's nothing new, but it kind of made a lot of news this past week uh, with the MLF event that was held on the Thousand Islands. I mean, generally, there isn't a bass event that early in the year or a pro-level event that gets that many eyeballs on it, and that's why the flogger is such a big story. And, I mean, since the flogger is such a big story, we might as well get the flog father on himself I was not aware of this until just recently, but I actually know one of the founders of the Flogger, one of the inventors, and you guys know him. You see him week after week on the Bassmaster Elite Series. Let's bring him in right now, Chad Pipkins. Chad Pipkins, I thank you for spending a little time with me here. And and this this past week, one of the biggest controversies is one of the oldest stories if you fish for smallmouth, really. I mean, there's this brand new thing out uh, it seems called a flogger, and it really has caused a bit of a controversy online. But but it's also brought that's the dumbest light. thing I've ever heard. Controversy with a cone, <laughs> dumbest thing I've ever heard. People are lazy. That's all I got. Is it? Is you think it's just they they see here, it and they're like, yeah. Con- here's why it's a controversy because some people don't want to put in the work to do it. Hundred percent. That's what I said before. There's guys that are older, a little bigger, a little less, you know, agile. They don't want to lay on the deck and do it. If they could do that, they would do it all day long. I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just. You can use front sonar, side imaging. You have polarized glasses to see in the water. Every advantage on your boat, but you can't use a single cone. It's because somebody doesn't want to lay on their deck and have their knees bleeding and you know get a get a bloody mouth and the thing hits you in the face. Your back hurts. And I've done it for three or four days and practice in a tournament. And you are wore out, you know, and I, I just think that's, that's 
that's one of the main reasons because not everybody can do it. So. Yeah, and it, it really is. I mean, it's one of those things. And it also is one of those things that you look at somebody do it like two buddies out there doing it by yourself is a whole different thing. Like if you, if it's you and your buddy and you're in a team tournament, it's one thing, but doing it by yourself is physically tasking. Like, you, you know, it, you're going to get beat up. For sure. And it's funny. Cause I, I've waited, I won my first term, I think 13 years ago with that thing. And since then I've always like, just give me one chance at a big event where that's the deal. I've never had that though. And it's funny that the stars align this week for those guys. And it, it shows how, how, you know, productive you can be with it. But when I was doing it, I didn't have spot lock. And it was just me. I mean, it was brutal. I would put the, I would line up with the trolling motor and then quickly I'd be running the trolling motor with one hand rod in this hand. And I let the flogger float and I would grab the flogger and I'd have like five to 10, 15 seconds to get him to bite. And I have to steer with my hand again and go back over here and then set the hook, then pick up this, then that. I mean, there was no spot lock. Now I'm just like, man, that'd be nice to sit in the middle of the boat and just go to town. <laughs> Yeah, and I guess you're right. That's why it's stayed a secret because, I mean, there hasn't been any, I mean, there's very few pro-level events that match up. It's a betting thing. You know, normally those events are, you know, a few weeks after that anyways. And and this MLF event this past week brought light to it. But you are, uh, I mean, and I didn't even know this, and I pride myself on knowing stuff about you guys, but proving that I'm an idiot. Um, you're kind of one of the flog fathers, one flog of the original flog fathers. The craziest thing is that the name, the flogger has stood. Nobody knows why it's called a flogger. And it's the most random thing ever. I mean, me and my buddy fished a BFL the first time and it was dead glass calm and I could see everything next day out. It was a ripple. I couldn't see anything. So I'm like, dude, there's gotta be a better way. So I went to Walmart at the time, snatched up a snorkel and, uh, just the next few days, that's what I used. The first BFL, I snorkeled around. I'd use two drift socks and lay on the back deck and just float. I mean, I know how much painting and concrete and stuff I had to do to make three, four grand. So yeah. around back there, I'd throw buoys out, mark them, come back. And that's how I found my fish and ended up catching almost 28 pounds and won like $4,500. I think I, you know, I was 24 years old. And that's how I won my first BFL with a snorkel used part in the tournament, mostly in practice to find them. And then Another buddy of mine, Jeff Cox, he's, he's what I would call a little bit lazier, one of the other flog fathers, but okay. not wants to get wet, you know, cold water in the face. He, he's a guy that just wants to hold the flogger up in a team tournament. So he did a little legwork and found it over overseas and got the first one here. And the funny thing is it got its name actually up in Waddington where those guys are at on the St. Lawrence River. My buddy Ryan said and I were scouting for, I think it was a strand series at the time. And uh, we went up and we're doing exactly what you said, team tournament, but we're just yep. messing around. You know, he's doing the rod. I'm like, no, he's got it. You know, we're, we're having an absolute blast because it is insane what you can learn. Like those fish pick the bait up and the guy fishing the rod doesn't even feel it. You know, like, no, oh, it's, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's really neat how you can see him react. And I've seen fish pick up a crayfish and go over two or three feet and spit them out. Like he's just got them by the back. Crayfish comes crawling over and they go back and drop them off again and they don't even eat them. You know, and it, that first time we were seeing all this stuff firsthand and we're just blown away. And my buddy's like, man, we're putting the flog on. I'm like, what the hell is a flog? You know, and he's like, ah, oh, my favorite band's Flogging Molly. I'm like, yeah, we're using the flogger. And we just, and that's how it stuck. I mean, which is pretty, pretty wild and stupid too. But. Do you think Flogging Molly has any idea that they, they, they were part of a fishing trend? I don't, I don't even know who Flogging Molly is. So Neither do I. <laughs> I did listen to one of their songs after that. I'm like, I got to at least know what this is. I don't remember now, but I did at the time. At least at least heard one of the songs to pay tribute to the Flogger. So. 
So you went like for a streak, what, like three events in a row or whatever, where you won using that? Is that true or is that just part of the fabled story? These odd trophies I get, this is my like Zoom spot. See those odd, like, I don't want to say like perverted trophy shaped trophies back there. Well, they do look, I mean, it's a jumping bass, clearly, Chad. I don't know what you're. I mean, thinking. it could look like another trophy from a different industry. But yes. Anyway, they're the they're the BFL trophies. It was 2008, nine, and ten. The first year was a snorkel mass. The next year was the first flogger, and uh, that's when me and just a few of my buddies had it, and we just crushed like nobody knew what it was. I and mean, I remember catching all my fish and just taking my co-anglers around. I'm using the cone for. I'm like, no, just a little over here. I had three co-anglers win. I mean, it was just fun. You could catch all the big ones and save like the four, four and a half pounders for the guy in the back. And it was an absolute blast. And then the third year, I knew it was different because I went out to like a couple flats I like to fish and there was a cone on every single person's deck. Like there, and I was like, uh-oh. But again, getting back, the funny thing about the flogger and all of the technology is the same guys that were winning before yeah, still winning are going to find a way to win. They, they just use the technology. It just, it ups the game, but the guys that were winning without it were still winning. Same thing with the, you know, the mega live, the front sonar, the 360. everybody finds a way to use the technology, but for some reason, whatever those guys have that win, like Wheeler wins a lot and he finds a way to win with the new technology as well. It just kind of raises the bar. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think do you think the people that that hate the flogger that are hating on the flogger, are they the same people that hate on forward facing sonar? I'm going to guess they are. There's people that, you know, don't want change. And I get that. You know, I know a lot of people like that, like they want the old school flip phone because that's what works. But <laughs> my dad was one of those guys. hated it. Once he got an iPhone in that guy's hand, all of a sudden he's like, what? I can watch my son fish in this. I can scroll here. You can't get the damn thing out of his hand. Yeah. So if you were able to, you know, take some of those guys out and show them how amazing it can be and, and get them to learn it. And, and so where they feel comfortable learning themselves, I think they'd like it. Cause it is, it's another weapon. Like, you know, some people say, you know, you shouldn't side fish. It's, it's not, it's not fair, you know, but then I'm like, well, what do you do in the spring? They're like, well, I go flip shallow bushes and shallow trees. I'm like, you're sight fishing with your eyes closed. You're just doing it less effectively than the guy that's looking. You know, yeah. it's like, you're going to catch those same fish and, yeah. <laughs> how, how frustrating is it for you as one of the flog fathers to to have waited your whole career for a fishery to match up with a, with a tournament and really for this technique to shine? And it happened two weeks before you were on said fishery. And, and probably by the time you get there, the fishery will be so different that it, it won't flog and matter. It's it's it is funny because I knew that would happen. I mean, so many things have to line up like they got to be spawning. They have to be deep. They have to be clear and they have to be in, in the act of like, you know, getting out there too, or for it to sustain four days. Like there's gotta be enough flats and places. If it's just a place where guys can go down the bank, everybody finds them in a day or two. But when you have these places that are so vast with the flats, like you really, you know, you can, I remember being out there, I've had the three BFL wins, I think. And then at St. Lawrence, I did a top 10 with it once. And then at Champlain, I did one once also for a bass open, but it was just mixed in where you catch like, three or four fish a day. I remember one time we were there in July, I think I had nine big smallmouth on. Yeah. Wow. And that's it. Outside of that, like I couldn't even figure out how to get a bite. So I would kind of catch like three a day and then four the next day and then save two, you know, it's kind of like strategy, but the guys this week, I'm just jealous because they're just out there in the right, when you get in the right ears, they are everywhere. And you just put that thing down and, and you know, the, the, fur, the more you want to push down on it and, and bend it, the further you can see, the more times you're going to get hit in the face and hurt your back. But I mean, it's just, it's a lot of fun. 
What what are what are what are the biggest mistakes people make with with vloggers? Give me give me vlogger one on one. Vlogger one on one, like when they find a big one, they're like, man, I got to get out of here. I don't want anybody to see me near this fish. Like the way those fish spawn, and they're they're like bluegill. I mean, if there's one here, there's probably one here, two there. I mean, that time when I found those nine at Thousand Islands, my coding for the first day had three over four also, and he was throwing. Not, I mean, I would be specific to where I know my other beds aren't out the back, and he would still catch one because. I didn't spend enough time in those areas. The more you float around that stupid thing, you're just going to keep finding them. Yeah. The other thing that I like to do is I really like, you know, especially when it's later in the spawn, like sometimes they come 10 yards to eat it when they get locked on. And that could happen in some of our events where they've been on for seven, eight, 10 days. I mean, they don't move and you could dance your bait all around. They're not going to get it. And my thing is when they do get it, I want to make sure that they ate it. So I'm down there. I want to watch them eat it. I want to watch the bait disappear. I don't want to like, you know, feel something pull in because later in the year like that, if you, you get them once they're gone, they, they probably won't come back. And yeah. Even if you lose them once. So I just want to make sure they got it good and we got them in the mouth. The thing that amazed me the first time I used it years ago is, is, and you said it, I mean, how often they grab your bait, you don't feel it. I mean, they're not eating it. They're moving it off their bed this time of year. And there's times where you hear that, feel that tonk. And then when you're looking through the flog, you're like, that's not even an eat. That That's its tail, like knocking it off the bed. It's amazing. Just, it, it, it just, I mean, it gives you x-ray vision and uh, it, it, it upsets a lot of people, I guess. It does. Again, it's a, you know, I think those people are the people that are going to get upset about lots of things. So sorry for offending you, but it happens. But all I can say is what you do learn with that thing is amazing. Just because, like you said, you, I've had some bites on a Ned rig where they, it's, and they knock the rod out of your hand, a foot of slack in my line. I've never felt anything like yeah. Ned fishing like that. So I almost wonder, I mean, are they just when they're eating like that, like you said, I think they're eating and devouring it other times, but when the, when you're bed fishing like that, you know, let's say you're 10, 12 foot of water, you got a little slack. You don't half the time. You really don't ever feel them do anything. It's just, they just put it in their mouth and they're getting ready to spit it out. So there's no big heavy hit. It's just, it's neat. You can actually feel them. Like you said, swim across your line. And if they happen to get spooked, you can feel the tail. And I'm like, so that's what that was. I wasn't getting a bite. I just happened to pull my bait across the fish's back. You know, it's, you can learn a lot. <laughs> yeah, you can learn a lot. I got one more question for you because everyone wants to know. I mean, Uh-oh. so are, are you are you like are you loaded from the flogger fund? I mean, is the flogger fund no, bulbous? It's funny you ask that. We used to we used to get a little flogger royalty back in the day when it first started. The guys at um Four Boys and Lurecraft were my first yeah. sponsor. And we uh if I'd have had some money back then, we would have helped with distribution or we really wanted to make our own. We looked in, it was like 10 to 15 grand to get like the machining figured out. And we could have made a killing that you could probably make them for like 10 bucks, and, and, but just didn't have the money at the time. So they helped us out and got the floggers and, and they were kind of the distributor. And we used to get a little bit of money for each one. We probably made, I don't know, between all of us, maybe five to 10 grand or something, which is cool at the time. That was good money. And, you know, we were, we were pumped, but to see how many now are going to be sold and stuff, you're kind of like, damn, missed the boat on that. I wish I would have spent a little bit more back then, took a risk and, Maybe we could be making it rain for the baby's diaper fund and shoes and pants and all that good stuff. <laughs> well, I know you're leaving for two back-to-back tournaments that I think you'll do very well. And go flow, get flog and win, Chad. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna. It's. It wasn't it's very smooth. <laughs> we're gonna get. We're gonna get flogging after it. I know you flogging can. <laughs> This is flogging ridiculous. Chad Pipkins, I'll see you in a few days. Thank you very much uh, for that flogging good information.
Only the best for you, Dave. Flog her out. I mean, I would say that was super pro pro. I, I don't know about you, but I mean, Flogger's a big story. And I went out there and I and I hunted down one of the inventors and got you the word. But I that's not the only big story we're bringing you this week. Another big one just happens to be a brand new world record tarpon. That's right. Unbelievable accomplishment happened last week. And uh, if you've been anywhere near YouTube, I mean, previous to this, you've seen this guy. Black Tip H is one of the most popular fishing YouTube channels there is out there. I think he's got just under 3.5 million subscribers. It's unbelievable. I am absolutely envious, envious and jealous of everything this guy's accomplished on YouTube, and it continues to accomplish from Black Tip H, the brand new world record holder for Tarpon. Let's bring him in right now, Josh. Joined by Josh Jorgensen from Black Tip H. And dude, we know each other as a guys who pass each other at ICAST and like say hello to each other. But when I see somebody catch a fish that is literally the biggest fish maybe ever caught in a species by mankind. I need to reach out to you. Tell me what is happening in your life. Well, we just caught what very well could have been the all tackle world record tarpon, but uh, instead of killing it, we released it, but it was the, it was an absolute freak of nature. And we caught it in a place that I had no idea there was even tarpon. So we caught it in Colombia. And there are no tarpon in the Pacific. So all the tarpon that are in the Pacific escaped through the Atlantic Ocean, through the Panama Canal, and came into the Pacific. So they're not native species. They're all invasive. And they get huge there. And how big was this particular fish? Estimated weight formula from the Bonefish Tarpon Trust put it at 312 pounds, which beat the world record by over 25 pounds. The current world record is 286. So is it somewhat less cooler or cooler that you you weren't even fishing for this fish? You know, I uh, <laughs> I don't know. Um, I mean, it was just like I tossed a bait at a rock. I was looking. I was trying to get a Cubera snapper, and he ate it. Yeah. Wow. Wow. It, it now tell me what that experience is like because I I, I do know that. Any instance you have with a record fish, especially a record, whether, you know, in freshwater, whether it's the largemouth record, the musky record in saltwater, the tarpon is definitely in that group, too. There's a certain amount of of hate that comes with that, too, I would imagine, too. I mean, of of why didn't you kill it? Did you get like I mean, it it seems like every record is surrounded by controversy. Yeah, I mean, fishermen are just jealous people. A lot of them, are, <laughs> I mean, you know, I don't care. I mean. Because at the end of the day, um, you know, I've learned after catching so many big fish that, I mean, it's different. You know, I remember I, I grew up in the Great Lakes fishing. So I grew up muskie, bass fishing, walleye fishing. So I understand that. And I think that's where a lot of people struggle to relate. If you've never gone true deep sea fishing, if you never fought a blue marlin or, or something that requires the captain to move and maneuver the boat to yeah. assist the angler, it's not one person. It's a team. If the if the captain doesn't drive the boat properly, you might as well just cut the line. Is it ain't happening? You know, it takes a team to land a fish like that. And you know, uh, I mean, I know it. Like 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 when when I hooked it, we um, 
I have a herniated disc. I herniated my disc in a little UTV accident in, in uh, March of twenty, uh, March twenty eighth this year. So while I was fighting the tarp and I hooked it, I my legs started going numb. So I had to pass the rod off. I couldn't. Yeah. I mean, e- either I keep fighting the fish and end up in a wheelchair, or, or you know, I pass the rod off. So I decided to pass the rod off. I tried grabbing it back again later in the fight and same thing happened but worse my knees locked up so i was like okay i'm done you know yeah. so um you know there was a lot of people complaining we released the fish we had no idea we had caught a record we just we, <laughs> we caught this fish it was massive we could barely i mean four people it took four people to pick it up the thing was unbelievably heavy and it was just gigantic um we let it go we're like wow that was enormous and then we started talking and you know i remember robert said you know, I just caught a, a couple of weeks ago, I caught a 250 pound swordfish and it, that was way easier to lift up than this thing. And, and then I started thinking, well, yeah, you're right. I just recently caught a 211 pound yellowfin and that was way easier than this thing. Um, you know, and I could pick up 150 pound yellowfin by myself. Uh, I was like, well, how big was this thing? So we didn't realize what we had caught until we got back to the lodge and started looking at Google images and went, oh my gosh, did we just release the world record? Yeah. It's wild. It's wild. I mean, I had a similar experience when I caught years ago, I caught a tembaki, which a vegetarian piranha. And it was the record, but I same deal, had no idea on the water until afterwards. But but I, I remember that feeling when you're just like, I mean, I never cared about an actual record. I mean, it's an obscure fish anyways, but, but you know what I mean? Like, it was just the feeling of, wow, we we did something. And, and you guys, everybody in that boat will be bonded for life just because of that experience that's exactly it you know and me like you know getting a record on paper is cool like that triple tail you see right there that was that should have been a louisiana state record um but we didn't ice it properly and we lost too much weight yeah we we missed the record by a couple ounces and that fish should have been that fish lost over well over two pounds in transport um so that was frustrating, you know, I mean, yeah, for a fish that, that you'd either eat or that, but killing a fish, like, it's just not in my brain to kill a tarpon. You know, I just, I yeah. just I've never killed one. Um, and it's just not in my mindset. Go, yeah, let's, let's gap this thing and kill it. You know, like I just, this is not how I'm wired, you know? Um, but you know, that's why we didn't even think about it, you know? Um, but I imagine if we had been with someone that, that is an active world record, you know, chaser, they probably would have said differently. Yeah. Yeah. Last question. Cause this boggles my mind when I look at your life and everything you've accomplished. I mean, who cares about being in a record book because more people will see said record on your YouTube channel than would ever see it in any print anywhere in my opinion, but to, to be one of the top YouTubers in the sport to, to have accomplished everything you've accomplished and to do it in saltwater, but to have grown up in freshwater, this all blows me away. How did this happen? How how are you like the, the last the, the last thing people would think about your history is that you grew up in Ontario. How yeah. did this happen? I grew up in uh Windsor, Ontario, and um hey Davis, Davis, guys, I'm doing an interview right now. It's Sorry. very professional. Tell them how professional I am. Yeah. Um so um yeah, so I grew up in Windsor, Ontario, and I just loved fishing. I fished nonstop. And I remember 
you know, being the kid that would run around catching gar pike and catfish and carp. And, and you know, then the, the ultimate prize for me was always big musky. You know, yeah. you know like, like I caught a million smallmouth bass and largemouth bass and all that stuff. But I always was chasing that. And, you know, in 2003, my parents got a condo in Florida, you know, and I saw a shark get caught from the beach. And that was that was it. You know, and then I started posting uh, land-based shark fishing videos. I was the first one to start doing that in 2006 is when I uploaded my first video on YouTube and they took off and I was like, okay. So I started making more, started making more, you know, we started filming them with a little handy cam, like a little yeah. 144p resolution piece of garbage, you know? Um, and I've been doing it for a long, long time and it just took on a life of its own. You know, it was a, ho- it was a hobby that became a career and, you know, uh, it's, it's, I never, I try never to lose my vision, you know, like, like why I do this. I don't do this because I'm trying to be famous. I don't care about that. I'm doing this because I really enjoy making fishing videos. Like it's really like when, when we film a great video, I, it's hard for me to sleep. Cause I just want to go and f- we want to edit it. We want to cut it up. We want to make a great video. Yeah. So that's all I'm thinking about. How are we going to cut this? What's it going to look like? You know, I just it's all day long. That's all I think about. It's a weird addiction and it shows through though. Like I think that if you talk to most people that, that are making content that I think is pretty cool, it's that addiction. It's that you, I mean, I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but when you go fishing without a camera, it almost, you're just like, Oh, I'm not sharing this with anyone. It it, it is a weird addiction, but it's something uh, I thank you for, for doing because you do a pretty incredible job and uh, it's, it's pretty entertaining. Is, is it more fun to catch? A world record tarpon or take the Gronks or or the Pauls fishing? Um, I'll be honest, man. It was so cool catching that fish, but it's not, I don't even think it's close to my favorite fish I've ever caught. You know, like it's a great fish, but like, you know, it, I don't know, you know, like that's why, like, I find it amazing how many people are getting all worked up about it. Like, I, I'm not like, it's an amazing fish, but I'm not like, oh my gosh, I'm so great now. Look what I caught. I don't care. You know, like yeah. on the next video, you know, like people ask me all the time, why don't you fish tournaments? I'm like, dude, I fish a tournament every time I'm on the water. Like, what do you mean? Well, same feeling. Said, we got $1,800 in cost the second we get out there. So that's our entry fee. And if we don't get a video, we lose our entire day and we don't have anything to, to produce content for the next week. So the pressure's on. And if I hook a huge fish, that's a potential twenty, thirty thousand dollar fish, you know, in this lifetime of revenue. So if I lose it, it's like losing a, a, a tournament winning fish. So yeah. there's a lot of stress, a lot, a lot of, a lot of, um, just like I said, stress when you're out there trying to produce something, and it's, it's always a challenge. You know, there's a lot of days that people don't see that where we where we fail. You know, oh. and um, <clears throat> it's those days have taught us how you know you know, how important it is not to fail, you know, and, um, you know, what I thought was interesting, I knew when we posted this video that people would get upset. I knew they would because, you know, people in Florida, and this is the key thing, right? People in Florida, Florida has a law where you can't take a tarpon over 40 inches out of the water. Okay. But for example, in Louisiana, I can go to Louisiana right now and go kill a tarpon. Yeah. You know, nobody cares there. You know, it's two states over. You know, um, 
you know, well, you don't, I don't have to obey Florida fishing laws everywhere I go. You know, like if I go to Louisiana, you're allowed to keep so many trout, so many redfish, the, 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 the limit per angler is different. Yeah. You know, than Florida. So why do I have to obey Florida's fishing laws? And, and here's the next question I have. What they say, oh, the organs are getting crushed by the, uh, by the tarpon. I mean, look at this fish behind me. You know, what's the difference between his skeleton and the tarpon skeleton? I mean, you know, like what is, what is getting crushed? You know, like they have thick scales, thick skin, you know, he's, you know, you're supporting his weight. What's the difference between picking a tarpon out of the water or a redfish or a snook yeah, or, or a kingfish or, or a mahi-mahi? What's the difference? You know, like it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's people just jumping on a bandwagon and going crazy. They yeah. Talking about. And I, I mean, it's no different than somebody from Canada yelling at somebody from Florida that posted a big picture of that or a video of them bed fishing a bass, which you can't do that. You know what I mean? It's and I think if you honestly, dude, I think if you chase those kinds of crap where somebody's like, well, you shouldn't have done this, you shouldn't have done that. You know what? That's somebody you're out living your life, and that's somebody who's who's yeah. not and is living their life in comments. And and you you know what I mean? Like the fact yeah. that if you didn't care about the fish, you would have clubbed it from the get-go. Oh, <laughs> you know I mean? It would have been done. It's like, it's like bluegill. Like in some States you can use bluegill for bait and other States you can't use bluegill for bait. You know, it, it's just like, um, and, and I, I remember growing up in Ontario. I remember when I was a kid, you could go to the, the bait shop and buy uh, live frogs, yeah. live crawfish. That's all been banned now. You can't even use it. You can't even, what, here's the dumbest thing I've never understood in Ontario. <laughs> Why can't you use a goby for bait? Yeah, they You're want you to, to eradicate them, but, but not as bait. bait? <laughs> it's so dumb. It doesn't make any sense. So you know, dumb. and that's where, like, you know, some of the laws that, that get passed, you just go, like, what is going on here? You know, like, I remember, you know, I told you what, we started off as a land-based shark fishing show, um, you know, where we just caught sharks on the beach. Yeah. In recent years, due to the diving community putting pressure on the fwc now remember this divers don't buy fishing licenses okay they created enough enough of an outcry that that we're we're killing all these poor sharks from the beach which we're not but they made enough of an outcry where the fwc passed a law that says that now you need to take a course and get a, a permit just to fish for a shark from the beach it's insane it's crazy crazy yeah. but you can't get upset about that stuff, dude. Like, honestly, you can't. I mean, it, like, literally, the, the thing to remember is if you want nobody to complain about your record tarpon or nobody to complain about what you do, you, you can't do it in front of millions of people on YouTube because it really doesn't matter what you do. I honestly think matter. we could right. put a video up of a, think of something, of a freaking butterfly coming out of a... <laughs> no, even prettier than that. A butterfly coming out of the chrysalid stage and flying away and somebody would post that's an invasive butterfly or that I hate that yeah. thing. They eat dandelions. They, It's just the way the world but, is. But you know what, Dave? One of the things that, that, to your point, it's our responsibility as influencers to make sure that the fishing uh, industry, the, 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 the style of fishing, the, what we have grown up doing, what we 
consider normal that it stays that way. Yeah. Because what's happening in the world is everything's being shifted to this new agenda. Like I saw something about uh, there was a movement, this keep them wet movement and no dry fish July or some of that where they're, they're trying to make this movement where you don't take a picture of any fish in the month of July and all fish stay wet. But this is real. That's you know, crazy. Um, I'll show it to you right now. Um, and and, I, and I, I, I commented about it. I said, this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen. How do you take a, how do you, uh, how do you, how do you keep a Wahoo wet? How do you, you, you we eat them. Wahoo, tuna, mahi, snapper. Um, it, it doesn't make any sense. This is what's going on right here. Look at this. No, no fish dry July. This is what it is right here. So no, you can't take a photo of a fish in July. And that's why I said it. it's our responsibility as anglers to fight for what we enjoy. Yeah. If you don't fight, these kinds of people will take it all away from you. They will. Take yeah. it away from you. They'll, they'll list you as an animal. You know, you're, you're, you're committing animal cruelty. You're torturing these poor little fish, blah, blah, blah. It's not true at all. Yeah. Uh, it's not. I mean, dude, I had videos this week and I'm sure you've dealt with it. That TikTok videos that are being marked as cruel. You know what I mean? Like what you're yeah. about to watch in this. You're just like, it's a fish eating a lure. There's nothing. I mean, I don't get it. But I, It's our responsibility to fight for what we have, because every year we lose more and more. We just do. You know, yeah. like, but the commercial fishermen lose nothing. They've actually increased the first commercial fishing quota. Dude, do you realize right now that along the entire East Coast, the entire East Coast from Maine all the way to Key West, we are seeing an exponential decrease in bait fish. Bait fish are disappearing at an exponential rate um, where I've seen entire places completely just a desert now, like places wow. that flourished with bait. We used to see sardine schools down here in Florida 40 feet thick for acres. They don't exist anymore. They're gone. Uh, they've been fished out. You know, th these, these mega monster commercial boats, they drag nets. They like the Omega boats, the pokey boats. People won't, if you, you wouldn't believe it until you saw it, what they do. It's unreal. They're allowed thousands and thousands of pounds of bycatch. They kill bull reds. They kill cobia. They kill sharks, kill everything. These guys are annihilating bait fish and there's no regulations on bait fish. Zero. When was the last time you heard of a bait fish regulation? Oh, you can true. 20 poachers. You know, that's what's happening right now. And I tell people at the rate that I see this in five years, you'd be lucky if you have a fishery. Because once you lose your bait fish, you have no predators. They have no reason to be there. There's no incentive. They move on. And the bait fish are easy. To, nobody's going to defend the bait fish. That, no you know, that's the honest truth of all of it. You know what I mean? And that that. It's something that I'm, I'm about to become very passionate about. I'm, I'm collecting my facts and then I'm probably going to start a movement to protect and preserve our bait fish to shut down the commercial fishing. The problem is it's a multi-billion dollar industry. These boats, it's being used for dog food, animal feed, cosmetics, fish yeah. oil pills. These, it's a monster industry. And I mean, they can, I don't have all my facts straight yet, but it, you know, it's, it's really bad, dude. You know, yeah. like I said, they keep putting pressure on these recreational anglers, but the commercial guys get to go scot-free because they're organized and they lobby and they're, they're all being paid by these monster corporations that have tons of money. Yeah. And it's the same with the anti-groups too. They're a lot better at what we're good at going fishing. We're going to go, but I mean, 
with what they've done with marine wildlife protection zones. You know what I mean? It, they make it seem like it all makes sense. You know, we're going to just take 20% of this and shut it down, but they don't tell you that they're taking the 20% where 80% of the angling happens. I mean, they're, they're just trying to drive anglers away and it's, it's, it's nuts. I mean, it really is nuts, but you're welcome back here anytime to talk about all those nut jobs out there. Yeah. Like I said, we just got to make sure we defend what we have because they will take it away, you know? And the problem with the recreational anglers is they are so divided. There's too many egos. There's too much pride. Everyone's fighting each other. And that's why like, I, I don't see us ever getting organized because everyone's just fighting for their own selfish pride. So how do, how do we get organized? It, what's, what's, what is your point to anybody listening to this? The, kill the hate and move forward together? Or what, what is the, Follow how do you go and let's, let's fight together. I mean, it's just what it has to be. It's not about what, who caught the biggest fish or who cares, you know, like there's a lot more at stake. I look at, you know, I started realizing this of uh, last year, really, when I realized that we could no longer reproduce the content we had made five of uh, four or five years ago, they don't, it doesn't exist anymore. Wow. So basically a lot of our older content is like a documentary now because we, that doesn't exist anymore. So why? Cause you can't do it or it isn't available anymore. It's not available anymore. Look, that fishery has gone. Wow. Yeah. It's gone. So, wow. yeah, that's that, that's when I had that was my wake up call. I'm like, wow, why we, we are struggling so hard to try to reproduce something that we can't reproduce anymore. This doesn't exist anymore. It's crazy. But, it's crazy. Uh, you know, and and like I look at it like, is this going to be one of those stories where I'm going to tell my kids how great it used to be, you know? Or is it going to be one of those stories where, where, where we fight to protect what we have so that we can and, and let it come back? It doesn't take long for it to come back. We just need to, pe people need to be so less greedy. I mean, dude, right now, you're allowed to keep 60 mahi per vessel, 10 mahi per boat. Let's just think, let's do a little math here. Ready? Watch. That's recreational limits. So let's say there's 10,000 boats fishing. Mm -hmm. between Key West and Fort, and, and let's say Cape Canaveral, right? In one day, and let's say everyone caught their limit. This is theoretical. That's 600,000 mahi, right? Okay. Times, let's say that the average fish is 10 pounds. That's 6 million pounds of mahi harvested in one day recreationally. That's not sustainable. No. It's not sustainable. But no, it doesn't change the regulations. You know, it should be two per person, 10 per vessel. It should be brought way down. Everything should be brought way down. There's no reason to kill that many mahi. It's stupid. And that's why right now I can, dude, last year I made seven trips, seven trips for mahi. You know, we, we covered over 200 miles. We thought we saw tons of mahi. We only caught two keeper mahi at there. And a keeper's 20 inches to the fork. Wow. Yeah. I remember like five, six years ago, we used to go out there and catch, you could catch a 10, 20 pounder beam. You could be blind trolling value. And now you have to be ultra aggressive run, running weed lines, searching for debris. It's hard to find fish now. And you know, you could fish all day and catch, maybe you might get lucky and find something that they're floating on and catch a dozen, but like it's, it's really hard now because everyone's pounding them. Wow. Wow. That's scary. 
Scary. I mean, we started this as a 10 minute interview to celebrate you catching a giant fish. And now, now we're well, telling you see what my real concern is. I don't, I don't care about like, it's not about the biggest fish. I don't, I mean, I care about making sure our fisheries are sustainable so that, you know, my kids, you know, my oldest is five years old. What's going to happen when they're 25? What's the yeah. fish look like? Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And more. And, 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 and while we're celebrating all these new people coming into the sport, we need to sustain, sustain the sport and make sure that it's great for all those new people. But yeah. uh, all right. Well, we, we, you, I, I'm, you're coming back here now, then you've set the plate table. Now you got to come back when you get all your ducks in a row and tell people what to do. Okay. Yeah, man. I got a lot of fact checking, but you know, there's a lot of data to collect, but I appreciate it. Hey, your heart's in the right place. And as long as your heart's in the right place, that generally things work out pretty good. And uh, I want to thank you for, for sharing some information with us and go, go catch some more giant fish. All right, buddy. Appreciate it, man. Thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. All right. Okay. So that is 100% not where I expected that interview to go, but Josh makes a very valid point. I mean, the most important thing about our sport is the resource. And if we don't fight to protect it, who will? So uh, do the right thing, people. And a group that has fought to protect our resource for a long time, and I'm proud to work with that group, is Bassmaster. And they come out with a list every single year, the 100 best bass lakes. Bassmaster 100 best bass lakes. And the guy who puts that together is James Hall. So we have given you, you know, the big controversial hot technique already we have given you the new world record and now why not just bring in james hall so we can talk about the 100 best bass lakes james hall editor-in-chief of bassmaster magazine thank you for taking time for me here today dave i it is my goal in life to take time for you sir you know any any of my fellow canadians yes yeah, you've always been a man of the people. That's one thing they say about you. And one other thing they say about you is one of your tasks throughout the year, and one of your babies is the best bass lakes in America, I guess it is classified. Or is it the best bass lakes in the world? It's America, right? Yeah, it's a, the 100 best bass lakes is the uh, United States primarily. And I, I've uh, irritated some Canadians and some South Africans and even a couple of Japanese folks for not putting lakes uh their lakes on the list but yeah we we focus on the united states all right so how long has this list been going and who you know how did how does it get decided well we started it in 2012 um and it was uh, uh my former boss our uh my great uh friend and mentor dave precht uh who recently retired he and I were sitting around in his office one day talking about our bucket list of lakes that we have not fished, but we're, we're really wanting to fish. And as we're going through these lakes, you know, Clear Lake or Coeur d'Alene or Cayuga, you know, just take, kind of take a pick, take a pick. Um, we're like, you know, this is this is really interesting conversation. And I probably everybody has it. Yeah. And so I was like, well, we should probably just print a bucket list for our readers, you know, kind of go through what lakes are really hot right now, because I think at the time. Uh, Okeechobee, no Falcon had gone off. Oh yeah, uh, and and uh, so we're like, we you know there's probably lakes like Falcon all over the United States that people just don't know about, and so that was kind of that's what spawned the concept. <laughs> we thought it was going to be a good one-time shot, and uh, and the popularity of it uh, in 2012 uh, kind of forced forced us to do it again, and it went from I think a, maybe a six-page feature into the biggest 
project, editorial project that we currently have at Bassmaster. I think it takes up 13 pages. Wow. Uh, so it's come, it's become very popular. And um, yeah, all from uh, me and Dave sitting in his office one day thinking, we, you know, we're, how can we boondoggle ourselves <laughs> to Falcon <laughs> or to Champlain, you know? It's Dave's so that gift that keeps on giving. I mean, he's <laughs> yeah. retired a few years. I got an idea. I'll set up that James Hall for uh, <laughs> something that'll ruin his year every year. Every what, year, what? man. I hate it. And I, 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 I say I hate it, and I do. Uh, there's a hatred for this project that lives in my heart that will never die until I retire. But it's also a labor of love uh, because it's painful. It takes us about two months, um, two months worth of research to get to the to the where we begin creating the rankings. I have we employ uh, three writers and myself to put them together. And then once we get the research, because we ask all the fisheries uh, biologists and yeah. to rank their own lakes. And so they do that for us. Then we reach out and survey the Bass Nation guys. So it know. starts with the fishery resort. Like it starts with it. Is that just like the people that had like basically Texas Parks and Wildlife right. in Texas and yep. Michigan DNR there? OK, got it. Yeah, because they, they know their best lakes. I mean, they're in and, and the you know, the, what has happened over the years is, is these DNRs uh, see this project as a reason to um, as a, well as a uh, launch point or, or a way to to bang their chest a little bit, say we're really doing yeah. a good job in, in our state. And they are. They've really, since we started this in 2012, we've seen incredible improvements in bass fishing in every state, basically. Uh, so this is something that kind of is a litmus test for these states and a way for them to say, yes, we're doing a good job and to pull in uh, tourism dollars from nearby states or, you know, the communities within their state to, for these, these, uh, cities that really depend on tourism dollars from anglers. Yeah. So, yeah, so we get, so two months of research kind of goes into, once we get the fisheries department's uh, rankings, we send out surveys, uh, to all sorts of folks uh, in the Bass Nation because they fish some, they fit thousands of lakes across the United yeah. States. And um, and then we then once we get all that information, we squeeze it together and then start looking. Then comes our hard part where we start looking at actual tournament data. You know, how much it take to win? We look at big bass, um, the big bass projects like in Florida and Texas yeah. and see what lakes are really kicking out the, the big fish. And and then once we compile all that information, the rankings kind of take care of themselves. You know, you can see the average winning weights are 25 pounds and then the next leg well their average weight's 23 and some change and so we kind of use that to put everybody in order and what comes out is uh, 100 best bass leagues so this year lake fork is number one and uh was is it usually without question is it usually one that stands out amongst the or is it like i mean did you have a handful of three or four other lakes that literally it could have been any of them and nobody's going to argue this this year uh, i don't think i think lake fork really stood out um, yeah you know just like the year falcon one just like the year st Clair one sometimes it's just so obvious um that that a lake is is like at the top of its peak because you know these lakes as we've done them over the years you see peaks and valleys you know there's cyclical issues going on with every fishery depending on the fish and stocking programs drought yeah um, too much water all those things happen but um 
And and effect like Falcon's a great example. Number one, now it, it's made the lit. It fell completely off the rankings one year because of incredible drop down there in South Texas. Um, so, uh, but to answer your question, Fork really stood out this year uh, because and and it's interesting, like because you don't get a ton of tournament date on it, right? Yeah, uh, we get some elite series uh, events down there because uh, we work closely with the TPWD. Uh, but otherwise, we got to look at the Sherry Lunker program. And then kind of talk to some guides in the area. And um, what was interesting, I think, about Fort is that a lot of people uh, have considered it declining over the years. And I think what Patrick Walters illustrated um, when, when uh, he cracked 100 pounds on a jerkbait is that it's not that the fish aren't there. It's that they're doing something um, or, or in areas that the traditional approaches to fork fish aren't working. Yeah, so I think. And then, um, you know, Livesey uh, catching, what, 42 and change or something and limit open there by that. Yeah, the yeah, fishing on Fork still pretty solid. The fish are there. It's just the anglers are having to modify techniques uh, to really take advantage of the fish that live there. But yeah, all in all, Fork really stood out this year over over all the rest. That that's to me what makes Fork as incredible as it is. And I don't even think it gets the credit just simply because if you compare like some of the other fisheries that, that have won this, there's very few of them that get the constant pressure that fork gets. I mean, even, I mean, you could, you can remove every Northern Lake because I mean, they, they deal with winter and, you know, seasons and that sort of thing. So, um, ice, ice covers it somehow or another. I don't. Yeah. One way or another, (laughs) one way or another nature protects it. Um, is there any that want to have won multiple? I don't think so. If I was yeah. a better at my yeah, job, I would have been done actually won two in a row. Oh, exactly. Was, That's what I was saying. Yeah, 17 and 18. That's when Toledo Ben was kicking out, you know, 50, 60, 10 pounders a year. And that was just on uh, the Louisiana side, you know, and that wasn't counting what whatever the Texas side was catching. So Toledo Ben was rocking it, rocking it for two years in a row. And not, and I think, you know, a lot of people will, will blame uh, the rankings on, on, <laughs> on lakes getting overfished or becoming really popular and then fishing declining because pressure does do that to a fishery. Um, but, you know, there's, there's, you know, have benefits and negatives probably to, to highlighting some of these lakes. Um, but, you know, Toledo Bend loved it. I went down there and gave them a, 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 a trophy when they got the second and like a thousand people showed up from that community to kind of wrap their arms around being proud of their fishery and that accomplishment. So, um, so, you know, it, it's, uh, I think all in all, it's good. The community's made so much money. The economic impact of these yeah. is really one of the true benefits because there are a lot of mom and shop pops, mom and pop shops, not enough coffee. It's okay. You uh, work in the written words. Depend on anglers to, you know, to, for their living gas stations, grocery stores, things of that nature. And so when, um, when these come out and, and these lakes that are really shining, um, get a lot of that extra tourism, these, these communities really thrive and that's important to us. Yeah, it is amazing. Even, you know, traveling around with the elites when you get to a community and actually I remember how excited Toledo Bend was and, Mm You know, and, and and how much it means to them, because it's almost like now the world's seen, you know, just how good it is. Everybody says it's the best. Well, we won the best this year. Tell me this. Give me some sneaky ones. I mean, everybody 
focuses on number one. Is there some sneaky ones there that, that are slowly climbing the list? Ones that maybe just a dozen or so viewers that tune into this weekly would like to know about? Well, one that we that if had these rankings come out um, a month earlier, it would have we probably would have seen OHIV at the top, uh, just because that little lake in Texas it's a little smaller than Fork. I mean it it produced more teen yeah. bass than any other lake in the country. Um, but it was kind of I mean it had already received so much pressure by the time. Um, but by the time we started doing the research for this, we were afraid that, you know, any more pressure to that lake could have been detrimental. It was still ranked in the top 10 in the nation. Um, but it was really good. If I'm looking at Peaky, oh, Jordan Lake in North Carolina, it's made our rankings before uh, and has been ranked quite high, but it's one that you don't hear a lot about. And it has incredibly big, you know, impressive largemouth in that lake. I mean, uh, there's a lot of 10 pounders swimming in there and a lot of people, North Carolina has some incredible fishing. If you look at some of the lakes in that state, that, that fisheries department has a lot to be proud of. And Jordan Lake is one, if I was going to go fishing next week, uh, I might, I might pick that lake just cause I've never fished it before. And, and the numbers coming out of Jordan Lake in North Carolina are, uh, are pretty incredible. Uh, oh, well, I tell you, here's another one that if you're up in the Iowas. Oh yeah, in uh, the Iowas. West Okaboji. I what? fished that lake. Um, say it again. West Okaboji. Okaboji. That's fun mm-hmm. to say. It's yeah. It's where our friends uh, Spirit Lake, Iowa. Okay. That's yeah. kind of their home lake. I went up and 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 toured their facility a few weeks ago um, to see some new stuff they're coming out with the ICAST, and we got to fish West Okaboji for an afternoon. And it was awesome. And the guy's like, ah, you know, it's not bad at the moment, but it gets better. And you said that, you know, the tournament last week was one with 28 pounds. I'm like, are you kidding me? In Iowa with largemouth, you know? Yeah, it's not unusual. So, so if you really, if you look at these rankings and any of the lakes that you see on here that you've never heard of before, uh, they are stellar, stellar fisheries because you have a hundred lakes that we talk about. And you think about all the lakes in the United States, you know, Minnesota, 10,000 of them just (laughs) in that lake uh, or in that state. So if you, if you think about how good a lake has to be just to make the top 100 list and you have any of these, any of these guys are uh, worth putting on your bucket list and trying to check off. James Hall, I appreciate your time, but I can't leave you without putting you on the spot. So I'm going to ask you right now, who's going to win angler of the year on the elite series this year. Oh man, it's impossible to bet against Seth Fighter. But here's but here's what I but here's what I'm gonna say. My pick going in early this year was um, Corey Johnson, and I'm not counting him out. So if it's not Seth Fighter, my money's gonna go on Corey. Okay, okay, all right. I it, mean, it's, you know, it's some low hanging oh. fruit, but at this point, that's all there is left to choose from. I feel like you just picked that to try and keep me happy. I feel like every oh, time Canadian, the Canadians well. don't win, you trash talk me. Um, yeah, I, I tell you what, you'll owe me a dollar if Corey wins because uh, I already have one of your dollars here signed somewhere. You do. From when you, you lost <clears throat> a bet I did lose. that a Canadian was going to win and an American did. So uh-huh. this time because I'm picking a Canadian, you're picking an American, you're going to owe me another dollar. I never picked anyone. I just asked you a question. Why, why are... Why are you 
so I'm competitive. Making, I'm making general assumptions. Who are you? What do you not think? Who, who's your pick, uh, Dave? The person with the most cumulative weight at the end of the season every single time, generally. Right. What well, what is that animal that's hanging on your wall right there? Uh, that that one. Yeah. That is an Impala from South Africa. Oh yeah, my dad drove one of those. <laughs> <laughs> Really, really, really did. Had a giant Bondo. The side panel was had a lot of Bondo on it. But yes. anyways, I'll, I'll let you get back to it. Is it is it like is is the corporate? I've never been to the Bassmaster offices. I know I've worked for you guys for over a decade. Never attended. Is the corporate vibe strong there this morning, James? Oh, it's so strong. You, I, I mean, I can walk you around the 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 hallowed halls of Bass. Uh, Whoa, really? You want, yeah, you want to here? Uh, oh my goodness! This say is, hi we're, to, we're, Huh? Oh boy, let's see where we. Yeah, let's let's walk and talk. Let's walk and talk. Look at this. We're gonna walk and talk. So so this is so this this is the magazine we just put together. See, there's a wall there. Wow. And down that hallway is the brains of the operation, Bruce and those guys. This is this is our editorial group. It hey, looks say, incredibly hey, corporate. Mandy, hey. Dave. Good morning. Hey. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, and then the wow. other, there's Brian. She's wow. a designer. Hey, good morning. Stella. I'm never coming there. Stella. Good morning. You'll never they're see the me. That, they're good the morning. ones that make the uh, magazine magic. Thank you. Thank you guys oh. for everything you do. Hey, you just, just, I mean, this has gotten awkward and weird like most of the things that we do on this, on this number one rated show. Uh, can you, can you yell good morning to everyone? Top of your lungs. Just do it. Say it's a corporate good morning. Good morning. Right, look, corporate, good morning from Dave Mercer. Everyone wave. Hey. hey. No, nobody cares. Nobody, nobody cares. cares. <laughs> they actually ran in their office when I mentioned yeah. your name. Yeah, they did. They do. And uh, well, hey, now I've been to the Bassmaster offices. Yeah, I know that's the closest you're ever going to get. That's it, James. Well, I'll let you get back to your taupe laden world but wow you have accomplished a lot in the wildlife community as you walk in there just wow turn that around let's see here well goodness oh, i'm not near manly enough to visit your office but we appreciate you spending time with us i, James Hall, Thanks. I appreciate it bro editor-in-chief of bassmaster magazine so that's it that's all all that's left is for me to do this part of the show where i look in that camera and i say Please give us a like and subscribe. It makes a big difference in our world, and it hardly even affects your world at all. So just go down in the corner and hit that like button on this video. Subscribe to this channel, and if you do that, I'll continue to do this so that week after week we can do what we just did. Enjoy being, and we'll see you next time. Thanks for watching. Please like, comment, and subscribe. Because Bob Cobb of the Bassmasters told you to, you hear?